Smooth frown lines with Daxify, the only peptide-powered frown line treatment. Chosen as one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2023, it's the first innovation of its kind in over 20 years. Daxify is the only frown line treatment powered by a novel peptide. Come see why everyone is talking about the Daxify look and why beauty lovers choose Daxify. To learn more about Daxify, visit Daxify.com. The effects of Daxify may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Tell your provider right away if you have problems swallowing, speaking, or breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness, as these can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Do not receive Daxify if you have a skin infection or are allergic to botulinum toxin products. Tell your doctor about your medical conditions, including any muscle or nerve conditions, and all medicines, including any side effects from botulinum toxins, as they may increase the risk of serious side effects. These are not all the possible side effects of Daxify. For more information, visit Daxify.com. Talk to your doctor or call 1-877-798-6243. To learn more about Daxify, visit Daxify.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Your kids mean everything to you, and you do anything for them, especially if they're at risk. So when it comes to type 1 diabetes, screen it like you mean it. Because if even just one person in your family has type 1, your child is up to 15 times more likely to get it. But just one blood test can help you spot it early. So don't wait. Talk to your doctor about screening. Tap now or visit screenfortype1.com to get more info. And screen it like you mean it. Welcome to the All Ball Podcast, a great part of the Herd Podcast Network. I'm Doug Gottlieb, your host. And uh, hey, do us a favor. When you're done, subscribe to the All Ball Podcast and rate us. It helps us. I don't make any extra money off it, although maybe eventually I will. But more importantly, it kind of helps. Uh, it helps my bosses feel good about uh, what we're doing here. Rashad Phillips will join us. If you don't remember Rashad Phillips, uh, well, you don't remember 90s and early 2000 basketball. He was a star, all-time leading scorer at University of Detroit, scored over 2,300 points. Get his kind of unique perspective on some of the players still playing and getting ready for, in the NCAA tournament and get ready for the NBA draft. Oh, yeah, Bill Self. Oh, yeah, Porter Mosier, also part of the All Ball podcast this week. Uh, got about, um, I don't know, seven or eight minutes with both of them. I think you'll enjoy. We'll get you ready for the Final Four. I, I think the other thing we're going to do as we will transition from the Final Four in college basketball and some of the coaching changes, we'll continue to bring you some great stories of college basketball coaches. What I want to do in the coming All Ball podcast is uh, bring on some of these coaches, and you'll find out about them as people, them about their upbringing, where they played growing up, who they played for, and how they formed kind of their basketball opinions, if you will, as well as what their program's like today. So we're going to continue focusing on college, but then we'll transition more to NBA, get ready for the NBA playoffs, have on NBA guests. You'll find out about some of these injuries and about the future of some NBA stars as free agency is also interesting. And we'll get you ready for the NBA draft. So we'll do a little bit of all that today. 
Look, we're weeks away from the NBA playoffs, which I do think are going to be exhilarating. I'm not buying all these guys being hurt. I think everybody's just trying to get completely rested, completely healthy. And as much as Steph Curry's knee uh, tweak looked bad and the MCL, it can hurt your lateral movement, the fact is that when Steph says, I'll be back for a week for game one of the playoffs, I feel like he's more hurt than injured. You know, if you don't have surgery on your knee and you just sprain your knee, I think you're going to be okay. I just, I, I do. And KD, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, to me, the whole question with them is going to be their bench. But I, I look around the league, John Wall is going to be back. I don't know about Kyrie, but I'd assume he'd be back as well. People freak out about a scope of your knee. The more you've been in it, you have your knee scoped and cleaned up. You can play a, a week or a t- couple weeks later. He'll have time to rest. I, I don't know. I just maybe it's it's me being hopeful, but I I get the sense you'll see Kawhi, you'll see Lamarcus, you'll see all these guys that are banged up and nicked up actually get clean and healthy, and we'll have a much more exciting playoffs this year than we had last year. I think the East is closer to LeBron and the Cavs than they've been, and I think the West. I'm still not a buyer long term into Houston if Golden State's healthy, but I think uh, Oklahoma City's interesting, San Antonio if healthy is interesting. Minnesota's interesting. Portland, they've been incredible. Even at the defensive end in the second half of the season, they're interesting. Um, New Orleans is interesting. Uh, Playing better without DeMarcus Cousins. Who could have saw that coming? Actually, I think a lot of people. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get you ready for the NBA playoffs and the NBA draft and bring you some of the draft potential draftees on this show. So we'll do a a wide, we'll, we'll cast a wide swath, if you will. But let's focus on the Final Four. I guess I should be surprised, but the fact is, and if you've listened to the Doug Gottlieb Show, which you can listen to 3 to 6 Eastern Time on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, or XM Sirius Channel 83 daily, it's 12 to 3 Pacific, you know that before the tournament I said, no matter how chaotic it seems at the time, we usually get three teams you'd you'd kind of expect to get in, and one team that's kind of a Cinderella. We've had that a lot. I've been to so many of these Final Fours. And that's what we have this year. And you have Loyola Chicago, who did win their league, did win their league tournament, got in and won their first three games by four four points, and, of course, end up dominating in the Elite Eight. And uh, now they're playing for the right to play for a national championship. I don't think it's a particularly good matchup between them and Michigan, not just because of, of Wagner, but Wagner is a, is a big part. He's just so much – one of the differences in low-major, mid-major, high-major basketball – is not just the size of players, and obviously some of that has changed, not just with uh, uh, with kind of there, there being a much more gray area between high and mid-major basketball, but also with so many high-major guys going early to the to the pros. But but the biggest thing has been the quality of big player. And uh, Wagner from Michigan, as a stretch five that can also defend the rim and score a little bit around the bucket, I think that presents the biggest threat to Loyola. He presents the biggest threat to Loyola. In addition to which, though they're they're not all as old as uh, as Loyola's players, you got a more veteran team with Michigan than you would have with some other high majors. And then in the other semifinal, I do like Villanova over Kansas. And I think one of the things is this is probably Kansas' weakest group in terms of. Uh, of NBA caliber talent. Like, I look at that roster and I'm like, who's going to – is Malik Newman an NBA player? Maybe. Is he a first-round draft pick? I don't think so. Yudoka Azubuke, 
One, I don't know how he plays in this guy. He can't guard Amari Spellman out at the three-point line. And even though he can score at the low post, he, he can't – there's too many possessions which he can't play defensively because he doesn't have the wind for it and he doesn't play – he doesn't play that long when he plays. Um, this is arguably t- NBA talent-wise the least talented, per se, team Bill Self has ever had. And yet, here they are. Chance to play for a national championship. Going up against a Villanova team that I think matches up with them really, really well. I do think they have more NBA players than they had when they won the national championship two years ago. And it's pretty fascinating, the evolution of Jay Wright as a basketball coach. You know, Jay Wright went from, hey, let's just play a take em offense and really pressure defensively. And then they went through years where they weren't very good defensively at all. And then he kind of just rewired, reformulated himself, and they become a dynamic defensive team. That, that's the one thing that all three of these teams, four of these teams have in common. They're tremendously well coached at the defensive end. I actually think they're really well coached altogether. And it's funny that you'll hear people say about Bill Self, he doesn't get the respect he deserves. He's in the Hall of Fame. I don't know how much more respect you can give a guy. I think John Beeline eventually will be in the Hall of Fame. And I think the same can be said for Jay Wright, whether he wins the second national title this week or not. Uh, that that the, What he's putting together at Villanova through 17 years, but especially the last five years, an absolute juggernaut. They are the new beast of the Big East. Speaking of the Big East, a couple of news and uh, news nuggets before we uh, get you off to Rashad Phillips and Bill Self and Porter Mosier. I think what's fascinating about Chris Mack going to Louisville is that there's there's still a gap. There's still a gap between the new Big East and the ACC. And while you may not see it because you say, hey, Xavier had a one seed. Virginia had a one seed. Virginia lost in the first round. Xavier lost in the second round or whatever. Okay. And Villanova's a one seed and they're still playing. The, the difference is this. Uh, the Generally, the caliber of athlete out of high school to the ACC is generally better. Now, it was down this year with North Carolina, and I think some of that is they've had guys leave early for the draft, but a lot of it is the fact that they were people didn't know if they were going to be on probation until they weren't on probation. Um, you know, Virginia lost you know, three players to transfer last season. Their talent was a little bit down. Syracuse is like a year away. Louisville lost their their most talented incoming recruit and their coach. And Louisville still had some premier talent. So it, Wake Forest is like a year away. Pittsburgh has completely had to remake itself. So the overall, the league for the ACC is down. But keep in mind that if you're Chris Mack, you're taking on you're taking on in Louisville. Whoever you recruit to play at Louisville is now going to have to play against Duke, Carolina, Virginia, Syracuse. You know, even Florida, the athletes of Florida State. Like that's a game in, game out. And so, while I understand, I think the quality of play in the Big East has been very, very good. You have a lot of older teams, a lot of teams with transfers, the Creightons of the world. Um, you know. Providence, if Emmett Holt had played, he'll play next year as a six-year senior. The fact is that it's a little bit higher caliber of league in the ACC as opposed to the Big East, and it's obviously a much better paying job. I think he's going to double his money. That's why Chris Mack leaves, but that's why it becomes a bigger challenge. And then you look behind at Xavier, and I hear, I see so many people saying, hey, Travis Steele is the easy solution to being the head coach, and it probably is the easy solution. 
he has, you know, earned the chance as the associate head coach to become the head coach at Xavier. But remember, this is a different Xavier than A-10 Xavier. This is Big East number one seed Xavier. There are much bigger challenges, and they've been, frankly, recruiting a higher caliber of athlete over the last five years than they recruited previously when they were winning A-10 titles. So I think both jobs, only an hour and a half apart, one league apart, and you've seen so many coaches make the jump from Xavier to Wake Forest, to Providence, to uh, Arizona, etc. I think I'll, you know, to Ohio State, that I think you believe that Xavier will survive, and they probably will, and yet Chris Mack has been so good at Xavier, you would assume he'll be good at Louisville, and he probably will. But... There are different calibers of jobs, different levels of challenges, and I think that Travis Steele, if he inherits Xavier's program, it's it's a more difficult job than the previ- than when Chris Mack took it over. And Chris Mack, following the footsteps of Rick Pitino, who had been to Final Fours and won a national championship at Louisville, that's a harder job than than what you had at Xavier, where you had your culture intact through various head coaches. I think that part of it is absolutely Fascinating. Fascinating. We also have free agency season in college basketball, and the rating of the low and mid-majors continues, the plethora of transfers. And I know that some of you listening to this are basketball people, and basketball people, you're nodding your head. You're going like, look, it's a problem. The reason that Kansas doesn't have a bench is kid doesn't play, I want to transfer, even if it's during his freshman year. That's what Tubby Smith is talking about. He's not talking about the idea of transferring. Like, look, if you play somewhere two years and they recruit over you and you're not going to start, you go and you say, Coach, am I going to have a bigger role next year? You're like, not really. No, we think we have somebody. And you transfer and nobody's harmed by it. But nine games into your freshman year or simply because you're not willing to, 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 to bide your time, even though that was what was told you would do when you, when you signed in a place, I think that's what's changed in terms of culture-wise in basketball. But you combine just a plethora of transfers with the, the, the fifth-year, sixth-year grad school transfers. And um, it, it's out-and-out free agency. You know, it's, it's, I, had a, I had a high major assistant, say, like, who was in the Big Ten. And he was like, look, we're off for the last week of championship week. We almost feel like sending a guy out to watch mid-major tournaments to, to recruit because that's what everybody's doing is recruiting these grad transfers. And there are lists floating around. I'm sure many of you have them of guys that can graduate this summer so they can transfer and play right away. I, I think as, as so many of you are basketball coaches, travel to San Antonio for the NABC convention, if you're going to adjust anything, there's got to be an adjustment made because I get that if a kid graduates on time, he should be rewarded. And if the reward is he gets to play elsewhere, that's cool. But think about it if you're the college coach and I recruited you, I sat you for your first year, I started you your second year, your third year, you're an all-league player, I depended upon you coming back, and then you walk into my office, you're like, Coach, love you, but I'm going to go transfer up to play in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, Pac the Big 12, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, is that really the spirit of what we're doing? You can, you can transfer, but there has to be some sort of, has to be some sort of penalty. Um, whether it's even as a grad transfer, you sit out and play one so you can have, you know, you can play four years if you redshirted a year because of injury or because of because uh, you redshirted early in your career, but you still have to sit out an additional year. That way you get your master's degree. 
Right? You should be progressing to If you want to grad transfer, you should have to sit and get your degree. Um, here's the last thing, and I think this is something so many of you know me to be about, is not just coaches getting opportunities that are about the right thing, but teams being about the right thing. And I think we are being rewarded with coaches that coach the right way, teams that play the right way. But I, I, I don't think we should be the end-all, be-all, be the Final Four. And by that, I mean take a look at, at Purdue and, and what that team accomplished. Didn't win a Big Ten title this year. Didn't win a Big Ten tournament. Isaac Haas gets hurt. Otherwise, they match up with Xavier. It would have been incredibly interesting to me. I, I do think they would have won and, and met up with Xavier. I had them beating Xavier. The point is that those seniors, and there's essentially five of them, four that, that played huge minutes, changed the culture of the place. I've said this time and again about Kansas. When Kansas wins a double round robin Big 12 year after year with all the pressure, whether they make the NCAA, make the Final Four or not, they've still had a great year. There are, there's such a depth of teams that had great years that suffered a terrible or gut-wrenching loss. Look at Tennessee, right? Tennessee, you, you come from behind, you take the lead, you probably – if you're not messing around, you should beat Loyola of Chicago. And Clayton Custer goes one-on-one, shoots front rim. Ball hits the front rim, then back rim, then up and in. That's how you lose. That doesn't mean Tennessee didn't have an incredible season under Rick Barnes. Even Auburn that gets blown out. Think about Auburn losing two starters to start the year and a third starter during the year. They end up winning the SEC. I thought Bruce Pearl and Auburn had a spectacular year. Harvard won the Ivy League. Didn't win the Ivy League tournament. That's played on campus at Penn at the Palestra. They had a big-time year. I guess there, there should be some portion of us that, and maybe that's what this show is, to where we can talk about some of the programs that accomplished incredible things, even if they weren't during the NCAA tournament. Because the NCAA tournament uh, sometimes can cast a pale over our eyes to where we assume a team had a great year when really they didn't. Syracuse didn't have a great year. They didn't. They got in the NCAA tournament. They won a couple games, very smartly playing a uh, – a shortened game by slowing the pace and playing their zone defense. But you finish below 500 in your league, no one should be happy. You just shouldn't, especially in a place like Syracuse. And look, I was I was an advocate for Oklahoma State being in ahead of Oklahoma. But Oklahoma State lost 15 games in the season. Like, that's not a great year. It might be surprising to some because so many people didn't know what Mike Boynton was capable of, and they were picked last and next to last in most polls. But – that doesn't mean you had a great year. That means you had a surprising year. Great years are years in which you massively overachieve or you win your league or you come close to winning your league, imbalanced league, you win your league tournament, you're playing good ball, going to the NCAA tournament. So there, there are teams. I thought Kansas State had a very good year, very good year, not just because they're playing the NCAA tournament, but, you know, your point guard goes down midway through the Big 12 and you actually play as well or play better after that injury. Uh, with that in mind, let's get to some of our – special guests on All Ball. Let's welcome in Porter Mosier, head coach of uh, Cinderella, uh, Loyola Chicago. And uh, Porter, it's it's interesting. I've actually come to learn a lot about Loyola, not because of watching your team, but talking to other athletic directors like, hey, did you know that they built the beach on campus? Did you know that the, 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 the school itself is starting to take students from other private schools and now all of a sudden, like, there's, the student body is expanding? When you first got to Loyola, what what was the place like? What was the tenor of the university? Well, athletics was the, the 29th topic that would come up when you talked about Loyola. It wasn't, it wasn't part of who we were. 
and that's um, it's it's an unbelievable academic school. It's gorgeous. They put so much into the campus. It's on the lake. I'm, I can see out my window and see Lake Michigan right here, and so that that part of it. And so the grind of to go from where literally there was hardly anybody in the stands, and to see all the videos go viral of this this run and see the the Chicago skyline lit up. Go Loyola! It's been it's been so you know cool, rewarding, especially for me being from Chicago. And uh, it's just the buzz, the energy. I think it's going to change the direction of this university forever. So does that mean you're going to stay? You know how this thing works. You become the hot coach, <laughs> and now all of a sudden job after job gets thrown. You're, you're now a genius. Um, how do you process the conversation about whether or not it's a, it's a, long-term, uh, it's a long-term fit? You know, that conversation obviously will happen after this run. I mean, I think the the school has reached out and, you know, expressed that, that they, they want to discuss that, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, but I've just kind of been, you know, I've told my guys to block out distractions, and I, I, I'm doing the same thing. And it just my, our focus has been so much driven on what's ahead of us. And, you know, I know that will come up and be, become a reality when, uh, after this weekend. We'll have to, you know, see that when the time happens. Um, what, what did you – I know you've talked about Illinois State and talked about going to work for Rick and about how that all kind of just worked and brought you home to Chicago, and this has been a great fit in – now you've been able to, to accomplish things that coaches only dream of accomplishing. What did you learn most from what happened at Illinois State? You know, just that adversity doesn't have to define you. You can get better from it. And, uh, it, you know, I've gotten better from it. It's, it's made me more, you know, who I am and, and, you know, knowing that I can respond through things that don't go our way. It's helped me, um, you know, it's you can and that's why I like talking to other coaches that happen to. It. I always try to call guys that I know that had gone through because the next step you're going to go through a grieving any time in life, whatever adversity it is. That's kind of normal, but the next step, this reinvention, you can use your competitiveness and your energy to reinvent yourself. And I remember I had a chance to get a really crappy low, low, low job as a head coach. And I'm like, do I really want to do that just to prove people that I'm doing this? Or I had a chance to go work with Rick Majerus. And I chose that, more humbling. I've been a head coach in two different stops. But it was all about getting better, and I felt I got better. And then it's, you know, you get confidence the more you bounce back from adversity. Because I'm going to have it again. I guarantee I'll have it again. And you just you just keep grinding for the reinvention is the next a next competitive part of your journey. Um, all right, so now you have Michigan, and you yep. have a, a coach's coach, you know, a guy who yep. everyone in the business respects looking down the other sideline, not just at the way he does it, doing it the right way in John Beeline, but also the way in which his team plays. Uh, is there a parallel to this type of challenge in terms of the style of play, the preparation for the style of play, based upon who you've competed against this season? You know, Coach Beeline's one of the best in our profession, and like you said, everyone knows it, and he's uh, – He's doing it again. They're on a hot streak as well. They they haven't lost in a while, running through the Big Ten tournament, and you know they they pose some matchup problems because Mo Wagner, he's just different. You know he's he's different because he's a big that can stretch you. He can shoot it when he sets those pistol screens. He sets those lane line pistol screens and he drops up. He'll do the pistol screen and ro- short roll. He'll pick and pop. He he's you have to make decisions on ball screens. You have to do some things. And, and then their guards. I mean, they guards, guards can really go downhill. They can really go downhill, so you've got to contain that. And then they just – there's just not a lot of teams, especially that we've played, 
that has, uh, you know, a 6'11 guy that can stretch you at a high level from three. Um, but Cameron's been really impressive. I mean, it, I it just yeah. for, for a freshman to be competing at this high level and be uh, that solid, when did you first see him? I saw him when he was a sophomore, um, and I just I just loved that he was a basketball player. And, you know, I think, I think people at the next level, you know, and I get it, people look at his athleticism. And he's not a rim protector. He's he's not a – and I'll, I'll say he's not a, a high-flying guy above the rim, which on a side note, Doug, I think we have to be the first team in Division One history to go to the Final Four and not have a dunk in the, in the NCAA tournament as of yet. That's, that's amazing. That's a, an incredible stat. Um, but – Crutwig knows who he is. You know, he's not a shot blocker. He's a throw-you-to-the-rim guy. He's a rotate-over, be big. He's a take space up. And offensively, he, he isn't too sped up. A lot of freshmen are so sped up. And the NBA guys always say that about the college guys. You know, we're too sped up and everything. He's beyond his years in the post. He's not sped up. He takes his time. He pivots. He kind of waits to see what, what, what side you're leaning towards, and he kind of spins back. He's got a great pace to himself in the paint. Is there a way in which you can prepare the players so that you know the moment's not too big? Is there anything that you've you've been able to kind of figure out you want to – because, look, it's it's even one thing to practice, obviously, in front of you know, 30,000, 40,000 people. It's a whole other thing to play that game. What yeah. in your preparation do you think you can do to prepare them for when they have that big moment on the floor at the Alamo Dome so that it's not too big? Well, there's nothing I could simulate that's going to be like this. I mean, I think each step, each regional in Dallas and this, there's been a ton of hype. So they've, they've, they've responded to all that. But I tell you, Doug, the one thing, I've reached out to some other coaches and I've asked them about it. And the, the things that, I, that, that come back to me, everyone says, try to be as normal as you can with your routine. Normal with your meals, normal with your walkthroughs, normal with your film sessions. Try to take it as normal. The second thing, which was great advice, they're like, Put a deadline on Tuesday. Your tickets are, are in. No more changing it. Because of the distractions of people reaching out for tickets, some people said the first time they went, it went all the way to, like, Friday. And it can be so just – so we did it. I mean, by, by 8 o'clock today, there's no changing their ticket list, none. And they're not going to deal with that. So it's just interesting to see people say the distractions, you try to limit them as much as you can to try to get – to stay normal. Is there a in, – in preparing for Michigan, everyone worries about their offense. This yeah. year's team is really, really good defensively. How do you balance the time in terms of – you know, coaches all want to get the great scouting report to shut down John Beeline's offense. On the other hand, their defense is really their calling card. How do you prepare for that? You, you really have to watch it because they, they, they're so well coached and on all of it. I mean, they, they're big. They, they hedge ball screens. They low lateral ball screens. They got – you know, their, their guards are 6'4", 6'6", 6'7". You know, Simpson, their point guard, absolutely gets after you at the point. And it is such a good point, Doug, because they, you know, you do, when you think of Coach Beeline, you think of how much they execute and the efficiency on offense. But they're at the top of their game defensively, and that's what makes them so good. Was there a, was there a moment in any of those first three games where you thought it wasn't going to happen? Not not not. No, because it was so close. You're not just sitting there. It's not going to happen. It wasn't like we were down 10 with a minute left and had a comeback. They were right there, you know, and so I really never felt it wasn't going to happen. Grateful as hell, some of the, the couple of shots went in. You know, we, you know, Dante Ingram hit a, hit a big-time shot and, um, you know, in there, and we didn't call timeout in that Miami game, and, you know, we, we, our guys kind of practiced the attack because so many things can happen when you call a timeout. It's, and 
Um, um, you know, looking back on all of it, you'll start to, you know, think some different, you know, think about how it was. But our guys have been in the moment, Doug. They really have been embraced it. What would it mean for you to be playing on Monday night? It, it's it's your ultimate goal. I mean, you, you you dream as when you first get into this, you dream as a kid to play in it. You dream as a coach to get to that stage. And uh, trust me, there's thankfulness is is on my mind 24/7. Blessed to be at this position, and just don't want it to end. And our guys don't want it to end. Well, listen, uh, you have most of the free world rooting for you, and it's it's one of those things where people I think even feel bad about rooting against Beeline, but Sister Jean obviously uh, makes that pill easier to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but she's she's become a national symbol of hope. It's just really kind of remarkable what's what's taken place. It w- has. Wish it has. wish you nothing but success. Safe travels to San Antonio. And thanks for joining us. You can listen to my radio show three to six Eastern, noon to three Pacific, Monday through Friday on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, and Sirius XM Channel eighty three. I had Kansas head coach Bill Self on to talk about their run to the Final Four. There's a picture of you, Bill, kind of celebrating and yelling to the sky, and the crowd going crazy in the background. How big was it for you emotionally to win that game? Uh, it was it was big. It was huge. It was a uh, you know you get a chance to play Duke, uh, uh, you know, on the biggest stage, uh, uh, you know, in the most important game of the season thus far, and 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 certainly uh, uh, you know for the rights to go to a Final Four, and you know we we've been knocked out in the lead eight the last two years, so so uh, yeah, it was big. It was it was big. It was somewhat emotional, I guess, for for everybody, and and uh, but I, I thought we played great. I, I thought we we played at a pretty high level. The entire game, as I thought they did as well, and and uh, but certainly our guys made some unbelievable plays down the stretch. I thought maybe, and and this part hasn't been discussed enough, which is, um, I thought your guys did a great job of executing the scouting report at times defensively. C- case in point, Grayson Allen gets the ball isolated last play of regulation, and yeah, he, he nearly made a bank shot, but it's because you took away his right hand. You played him yeah. to spin back to left, exactly as the scouting report is written. It's, it's one thing to write it down. It's another team to get the team to lock in and execute like that. Yeah, I thought I thought we did it. You know, Grayson, uh, uh, you know, is, is, he's hard to guard, especially when you're in the bonus because he can put pressure on you, and he's such a great free throw shooter. But Malik did a good job on him. I mean, he, he, he scored 12, but he got three with, you know, with no time left at the end of the game. And, and uh and he got three on a switch uh, early in the game, but so when 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 Malik was locked in on him, he did a great job, and 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 uh, and certainly I thought Sfi did a great job on Bagley, even though he still got some numbers. I, I you know he limited his good touches, and certainly did a pretty admirable job of keeping him off the offensive glass. You know, you you mentioned Malik. There was a time early in the year. I'll I'll admit it. I, I was ready to bail on the kid. You know, I just thought, all right, a year off after. After an up and down freshman year, at Mississippi State, maybe he's just not that good. Uh, did you did you ever think he just he just ain't good enough? Uh, no, I never thought he wasn't good enough. Never, never, never. I I, I thought he was playing under his uh, ability, though. Uh, I think I think if this is a, his ability, I thought he performed under under that uh, uh, you know the vast majority of our season uh, uh, this year, and I don't know why. Just just trying to fit in or or, or uh, deferring or not wanting to screw up. But but in the last three weeks or so, he, I mean he's become you know arguably as good a guard as there is in the country. I mean he's been on he, he he's played at a really high level and being MVP of our conference tournament and probably as good a player as there was in Wichita and and the most outstanding player in, in Omaha, you know, uh, he's been on a great, great role. And, and, he, and we needed him, in, in, you know, because Devontae has played well, but he hadn't made shots yet. So so uh, uh, hopefully when we get those two clicking and, and 
with Fee and, and LeGerald, uh, you know, hopefully making shots, you know, will be much harder to guard. But but uh, I, I, I think Malik's been terrific. I think it's been uh, just as a, as a friend and a fan, it's been a remarkable year. I mean, to go through what you went through with the roster changes midseason, to add Silvio, you know, midseason, like who does that, right? I mean, who does that? And and yet you win the league, you win the tournament, you, you win the league tournament, you win two in Wichita and win two hard-fought ones in, in Nebraska. Like, this has been an incre- incredible year. I know you won it in San Antonio last time. Is it fair to say this might be a more remarkable year? Uh, you know, the team in San Antonio in 08 was – I mean, that that was the year, you remember, Doug, that all four number one seeds made it. I mean, there, there were real pros, I mean, uh, uh, you know, playing. You know, when you, you got, you know, of course, Rose and all that crew with Memphis, and you got, uh, you know, Kevin Love and all those guys, uh, uh, I believe Westbrook at UCLA and, and you know, Ty Lawson and Hansbro and, Ellington and Danny Green or whoever. I mean, there were some real guys in that, plus our guys. Uh, so, but we, we but we were one of the best four teams in the country all year long that year. This year we haven't been. This this year we've been hit and miss, and, and we have we've been uh, pretty soft at times. And certainly, you know, the things that we kind of take great pride in here, we haven't been great at. Our first shot defense was average, and you know, we rebounded it poorly for the vast majority of the season. But we kind of got it turned a little bit, and then. You know how we won the game the other day was basically you know winning the battle of the boards uh, right. by 15, and, and so uh, I was uh, uh, I was really pleased to see that. And you know the whole thing with me is and, and with most coaches I think you know you're not going to play well all the time. But you got to make sure other teams play bad, and and we haven't done that consistently. And, and I'm not saying we did that against Duke because they they played well and had a good game. It was just a it, it, we were just getting better in those intangible areas. You know, it's interesting. You're going to match up with Villanova, very physical team. Obviously, one very of the, physical. I mean, uh, unbelievably physical. And somehow they don't get called for fouls. The 38th in fouls uh, in college basketball. Mm-hmm. But you're going to play them essentially playing four guards, which is something that many would say they popularized. Like there is an irony to your four guard attack going against Villanova to win to play for a national championship. Well, I, I think you know Villanova can play five guards too. Uh, you know, whenever whenever uh, uh, you know Spellman comes out of the game and, and and they're playing Pascal at the five, I mean that's a that's a you know even though he's you know he's probably a three in nature, I mean his true position, but but that that that's hard 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 to guard, and 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 then their five man, as you know, may be their best percentage three point shooter right now, yeah. uh, so so that they're a hard team to guard. Uh, uh, I, I read today they're seven threes away from being the, the the having the most threes made in a season in the history of college ball. So so uh, and even though that one only goes back 30 years, that's that's still a re- remarkable stat because uh, you think it'd be some run and gun team that averaged 100 a game that would do that. So it, it, they're they're good and 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 they're they're averaging 86 a game, but they may even be better defensively than they are offensively and. And certainly, they're as well coached as anybody in the country. So, so uh, we know we got our hands full, but but we're so looking forward to it. Are you? Do you remember the last time? Are you? Are there any stare, um, are, are there any things that that you're going to emulate that you did last time? Uh, last time we played Villanova. No, the last the last, time? last time you were at the Final Four in San Antonio and you won it. Uh, uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, we may bring something up. Uh, uh, with our guys, or you know, may call something out, but but I, I don't think so. This this is a this is the uh, the first time, obviously, for this group going, and and very few of us were, were actually a part of this. I, I guess myself and Townsend and the 
and and the trainers, I, you know, and the strength coach, and that's about it. So so uh, th- th- this is going to be totally new. But but I don't know if we can draw from anything from that to help us, just because it's in the same city. But but certainly, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, there will be a little bit of subconscious confidence level going in, knowing we've had some success down there before. All right, man. Well, listen, we know uh, we know we'll see some uh, out of bounds plays, the alley oops, especially if they go to a zone. That's like a, that's a staple. And uh, we, we know we'll have you challenging your team to not be soft on the sideline. Thanks, Doug. All right, we continue here on the All Ball podcast um, with uh, a special guest. He has his own digital digital show, and, of course, he's a college basketball guru. He's the University of Detroit's all-time leading scorer. He scored 2,319 points. That's why he calls his show 2319. He's Rashad Phillips. He joins us here on All Ball. Rashad, what's up, man? Hey, Doug. How you doing? I'm great. Uh, you texted me as soon as Loyola won in the Elite Eight. They're going to beat Michigan. Why? This is a this is a team that have been they've been winning all season long. Um, and if you look at the the NCAA tournament, it's about matchups. Michigan's a three point shooting team. Loyola is a team that specializes off running teams off of the three point line. So. Uh, I've, we've witnessed Loyola do that to a lot of teams thus far, and Michigan is just going to have a long night trying to get those jump shots against a team like Loyola. I guess the, the problem is how do they match up with Wagner, right? I mean, Wagner is a guy who mm-hmm. can score inside but also can stretch you out. Uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the matchup with, with, uh, with Wagner specifically. Well, I think Wagner is the, the X factor here in regards to his versatility, his ability to stretch the defense go inside and he's just a, a high cerebral type of player but when you're when you're Loyola you have to give up something and I believe that that unit will not try to stop Wagner but what they will do is limit the rest of the guys around him Rashad Phillips joining us look um, I'll give you full credit you saw this Loyola thing coming before anybody else what about their mm-hmm. person what about the personnel that you see before anybody else well, what I studied is a lot of times when we look at college basketball, we try to find a storyline to fit these mid-major teams instead of just being completely objective and cover the name and just look at the stats and look at the kids. I watched them on film early on, and what you're looking at is seven kids that won state championships in high school. So you're looking at a team full of winners. This unit is used to winning games. They defend well. They don't make a lot of mistakes. Their starting five all shoot above 45%. So we're looking at a high, efficient, well-oiled machine that's been doing this for six months. All right, let's go to Kansas uh, taking on Villanova. I see this matchup, and mm-hmm. look, I, I do think Kansas can stretch them out, and I think Kansas can make shots. But mm-hmm. outside of you know, running a fever and hitting a bunch of threes, I love the matchup for Villanova. What say you? Yeah, I, I actually like the matchup. I think Villanova is just the more complete team uh, from from top to bottom. Uh, again, high efficiency, and I believe point guard play will come into play here. Jalen Brunson is tremendous. Devontae Graham has kind of figured out how to play that point guard position, but I believe a guy like Brunson has been bred to play this position on this type of stage. I think he wins that battle. Rashad Phillips joining us. Okay, so um, one of the other things you do is you like to forecast NBA talent on your own uh, digital show, uh, yeah. which, of course, you can follow Rashad 
on Twitter as well. Uh, let's start with, with Trey Young. Now, you've been saying Trey Young to the Orlando Magic since, I think, like the first week of the season. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm high on Trey Young, the person. I love yeah. his – I love some of the things he does. I think he's – I think it's a really hard thing for him to be drafted that high. And then mm-hmm. you, you, you turn the reins over to him, and I think he, he'll get exposed before he's ready. I, I take it you disagree. Well, to, to an extent, Doug, let me, let me explain why. When you're looking at the way the NBA has trended over the years, um, the dominant skilled player is the point guard position. So um, when you look at Trey Young, he possesses all the ability that you will need to enhance your, your franchise, um, the long-distance shooting, the great ball handling, the pinpoint passing, the ability to read and think on the fly from the ball screen, those are all characteristics that you need from the point guard position. So you can take guys like a, a Chris Paul or what have you and look at Trey Young, and he possessed some of those same type of abilities. I just don't think he has the burst to get by people. And I think he's little. I think he struggles to finish mm-hmm. in the lane. And I don't think he guards yeah. anybody. Uh, I do think he has the passing. I do think he can make open shots. I just think yeah. it's hard to see him getting open shots, especially if he can't guard anybody at the other end. Well, defensively, I do see that he'll be a bit challenged. And, and a lot has to do with his age. I mean, we're talking about a 19-year-old kid that hasn't really done a chin-up yet, Doug. Yep. So he hasn't really touched the weight yet. But I think over time, um, that side of the ball he'll develop. And I think reps. He has to get the repetitions with training camp, with summer league, with some weight training. I believe over time, the defensive part will come. I think during the year, he did a lot of resting on the defensive side of the ball. So a lot of it was effort to me. So some of those things can be fixed over time, and I believe Trey Young will overcome those characteristics that we don't think he has. That's, that's, that's interesting. Uh, DeAndre Ayton reminds you of Ralph Sampson. Why? When you, when you look, when you go back to 1983 and you look at the tape, Ralph Sampson was one of those unicorns. He was a guy that was 7'3", that was able to run the floor. He was something that we hadn't really seen before over time. And when you go to the tape and look at DeAndre's tape, you're looking at a specimen outside of a basketball player. I think DeAndre Ayton is a specimen. His ability to run the floor faster than anybody else, even though being the biggest guy on the court, um, the, the way he, he scores around the basket just has a lot of Ralph Sampson type of qualities. And when I was able to look at the statistics and dig deeper, it kind of it showed me that it was, it was almost dead on their statistics from college. Um, okay, let's, let's pose this question, though. Bagley yeah. or Ayton, you can only pick one, top of the draft. Who do you take? I'm going to take Ayton. I'm going to take Aiden for the fact that I believe that Aiden's a better defender. Marvin Bagley is uh, highly skilled, but I still think that there's some things to address on the defensive side of the ball, and he still hasn't picked up how to read out of the post defense yet. When you post double Marvin Bagley, he struggles out of the post. I think uh, Aiden's a little bit better offensively in recognizing situations and making guys around him a little better. Hmm. Hmm. I take Bagley just because I think Bagley – you know, can handle the ball, can mm-hmm. he's a little bit more, he's more versatile at both ends, even if he's not as good at any one 
at, at anything around the basket as, as Aiden is. But I think it's a it's a fascinating uh, it's going to be a fascinating draft. Okay, um, give me a sleeper. Okay, you love guys. You find guys that other people miss on. Give me one yeah. sleeper the world has not heard of that uh, that mm-hmm. that will be drafted that will make the NBA. Well, that's pretty easy for me. If you look at Wofford, Fletcher, McGee, I believe Fletcher McGee from Wofford is the best shooting guard in the country that nobody's talking about. We're talking about a kid that led the country in three-point made this season at 148. He's a better three-point shooter than Jimmer Fredette and, and J.J. Reddick coming out of college, statistically proven, and those guys were lottery picks. And this kid, Fletcher McGee, is not even showing up on draft boards right now, but he's six four and a half. He's a little bigger than J.J. Reddick. He has a quicker release. Um, he, he's stronger, and this kid has performed against Power 5 conferences, 36 against California, 27 against North Carolina on TV. He's a 90% free throw shooter. So I think this kid epitomizes what the NBA shooting guard is. Fletcher McGee, Wofford University. Great. Good call. You, I know you called that before the start of the season, and he lit up North Carolina, and you were doing some padding on the back, and now you're going to do some padding on the back when he gets drafted. Of course, he declared for the NBA draft. Rashad, we'll do this again. Uh, I'll be yep. on your digital show whenever you want. Appreciate you appearing on uh, awesome. my podcast. That concludes the All Ball Podcast, a great part of the Herd Podcast Network. Hope you enjoyed Porter Mosier, Bill Self, and uh, my man Rashad Phillips. We'll have more for you from San Antonio upcoming. Tell your friends. Don't be afraid to retweet. Send this out and say, hey, it's a good listen. Thanks for downloading the All Ball Podcast. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Smooth frown lines with Daxify, the only peptide-powered frown line treatment. Chosen as one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2023, it's the first innovation of its kind in over 20 years. Daxify is the only frown line treatment powered by a novel peptide. Come see why everyone is talking about the Daxify look and why beauty lovers choose Daxify. To learn more about Daxify, visit Daxify.com. The effects of Daxify may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Tell your provider right away if you have problems swallowing, speaking, or breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness, as these can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Do not receive Daxify if you have a skin infection or are allergic to botulinum toxin products. Tell your doctor about your medical conditions, including any muscle or nerve conditions, and all medicines, including any side effects from botulinum toxins, as they may increase the risk of serious side effects. These are not all the possible side effects of Daxify. For more information, visit Daxify.com. Talk to your doctor or call 1-877-798-6243. To learn more about Daxify, visit Daxify.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Could these study results apply to your life? If you or a loved one are living with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, take a look at the data for a clinical study. 
where 50% of eligible people with HER2-positive MBC lived over two years without their tumors growing or spreading. Visit HER2Results.com to learn more.